Hello, fellow travelers, and welcome to the Unbroken Ground. My name is Paul. I'm glad that you're joining us, uh, whether it's the first time or uh, many, many, many other times. I'm so excited to be able to continue to uh, give you some encouragement as you follow Jesus and, and uh, want to get closer to him. And I, my sincere hope is that as I uh, ruminate and, and uh, speak on the things that uh, are on my heart, that uh, you'll be... Um, uh, also touched by those and challenged, and uh, you'll be able to uh, find uh, encouragement and joy uh, in in chasing after Jesus. So thank you for listening. Um, this we have uh, just finished up um, in April uh, the discussion on the the soils of the heart. So so we're moving on into a little bit of a new area. I don't have a full plan as far as what we're going to be doing, but uh, I do have something to, for this podcast, and I don't know if that's going to be a continued series or what's going to happen there, uh, but for at least this one, we've got something to go with. Um, so uh, yeah, it'll, we'll, it'll be the first one of May, and um, it may or may not be the start of a series, or it may be a one-off, who knows? Um, certainly not me. But as God God leads and as I as He speaks to my heart, uh, so uh, so yeah. So today I'm going to be talking a little bit about um, what it means to be out of our minds, um, what it means to turn the world upside down. Um, so I can't say enough. Um, I think I probably have said this several times on different podcasts, uh, but um, I've continued and finished reading um, "Your Church Is Too Safe" by Mark Buchanan. I can't say enough about how much everyone should read that. Um, so I definitely recommend that. So some of that will be, some of this will be off of that, and, and maybe much much of May will be in reference to some of the things that uh, I read in there, um, and um, also just uh, some scriptures about. Um, what it means to have lost our mind for Jesus. Uh, so thank you for joining me. Uh, if you have any comments, feedback, always uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Unbroken Ground. So facebook.com forward slash unbroken ground. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram underscore The Unbroken Ground um, and also The Unbroken Ground at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and uh, let's jump in. So I want to actually just start with a story. Um, so um, I went to a minor league baseball game with my wife um, on Friday night, and uh, it's um, it's a high A baseball game. Um, and what that means is that it is still um, about three to four levels below major league baseball. So it's 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 young men um, that are trying to figure out whether or not they have a future in baseball. They're learning how to play. They're they're trying to be seen. They're trying to show that they have talent. Um, but the reality is is that um, a large portion of them. Um, will not make it to the major leagues. There's just so many people and there's only so many positions um, uh, and teams that you have that you can be on. And so it's a, uh, it is, uh, it's a local team and, uh, and I don't have any particular, particular tie to it other than it's, it's in Peoria and I uh, like supporting local Peoria things. And, and my wife and I, um, often go to baseball games just because we enjoy watching them. And so, yeah, so so we were there. Um, but it was not a game of um, great import. It wasn't the World Series. Uh, it, it wasn't for um, – it's not anything that anybody will ever remember. Um, 
literally. Um, it, it is just, it's a game that people are playing in hopes that um, it will build a, a testament to what they can do in the future. And, uh, and, and setting in front of us um, for, for the game was a, was a father and a son duo. Um, the dad was probably in his mid-40s, late-40s. The, the son was probably 14. And the entire game, um, the father yelled. Um, he yelled encouragement to the Peoria players. He yelled some snarky comments. Nothing too bad, just some fun things, um, funnish things to the, to the other team. And, and uh, you know, um, when... when um, the Peoria team, the home team, would score. Uh, they both jumped out of their seats. They they uh, yelled with excitement. They were they were they were cheering on their team, and um, I I just watched it. And for me, um, I I would clap. I guess if if we scored, but um, I was there more just to see the game of baseball played. It wasn't that I was particularly. Uh, enamored with the Chiefs, or that I that I feel like I have to cheer them on. Uh, if they win, great. If they don't, also great. It doesn't really affect me a whole lot. Um, and so, just watching, I just began to think about um, like this idea that w- why would someone show up to a baseball game and just yell and just be loud? Why would they? Why would they look forward to that? Because I think they did. I think he enjoyed himself. I think, and and his son sitting next to him was was uh, following suit and learning and and it's and I just I just pondered uh, past couple of days. I've just been thinking about this idea of why um, why someone would do that. Why why do people get so involved? Um, I mean, it's at one level at some like it's not any better, I guess, that some people get so involved with professional sports or uh, that that uh, how a team does can can change somebody's whole mood and um, can can determine whether they they have a good day or a bad day or whether they're happy about life and, and all those kind of things. And I don't really have that. I don't I don't experience that in my life. I just don't have a team like that. And it I just don't follow any sport where um, I particularly am invested. Um, and and so, uh, but I but I began to think about what that kind of investment, that energy takes, and what, um, uh, and just what's the motivation, and just what's the tie-in, because there are obviously um, fanatics, people who um, just go crazy for. Uh, their team, uh, whether it be a, a high school team, whether it be a little league team, whether it be a minor league team, whether it be professional uh, major leagues, uh, basketball or football or whatever it is, there's people who just they 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 live and and die and um, feed off of the thrill of of their team doing well. Um, they commiserate when their team doesn't do well. Um, and I I think that um, I found it um, watching it in person um, to be uh, not not in a bad sense, but in a little bit of the that it seemed just obnoxious um, that. Um, for um and he wasn't uh he wasn't it wasn't that he was like even like drunk um he was just there to yell 
Um, and he did for all nine innings of the game. Um, and again, not nothing, nothing like, I mean, a lot of encouragement and like, come on team and, and those type of things. But um, it was, and I thought, what would drive a person to do that? What kind of, um, what kind of, Goal. What kind of um, heart? What kind of um, for for this minor league team where where the players we don't even you know they may or may not become stars. They may or may not be good. They they're they're still learning. They're, and the team is still trying to figure out whether they can play baseball at a at a higher level. And um, and yet uh, to be so engaged, to be so invested. Um, and I don't have a good answer. But what it made me think of. Um, it actually made me think of a story about David um, in the Old Testament. And there's this story where um, David has, um, he has kind of, uh, Saul has passed away, uh, got killed in battle along with Jonathan. Very sad. They, they, come, they come to tell David. David mourns this um, and uh, but he he uh, soon establishes his kingdom and so establishes his throne to rule over all Israel in Jerusalem. And as he does that, um, he sees that the Ark of the Covenant has been um, not uh, has is kind of just been uh, living at uh, this this person's out in the kind of the out in the boonies kind of house, and so he says, "I'm going to bring it to Jerusalem. I'm going to bring it to the city of God and, and my the king's city. It's it's it should be where where God lives." And and on the journey, um, there is uh, they're they're carrying it um, with oxen, and there's a little bit in the story which I'm not going to get necessarily into a whole lot, but that they they aren't necessarily carrying it the way that God has told them to do. Um, and so they're carrying it with oxen, the oxen stumble, and the Ark of the Covenant uh, starts to slide off the cart as though it's going to hit the ground, which would have been very sacrilegious and very bad. And so one of the priests um, reaches out to steady it. And as he does, he is struck to death. Um, he's, he's dead. Uh, dead as a doornail, dead on the spot because he touched the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and this makes David very afraid. Um, and so he says, we're not going to go any further with this. And so he, he sends it to a small town that, uh, and he's like, it's just going to stay there. And so it stays there and the, and the town is just blessed and, uh, God's blessing is, is all over the town and the people. And so David's like, okay, well, obviously having the ark is a, is a, very good thing, and I want it to want it to be in Jerusalem. So we're going to do this again, and you get the sense that he's like, all right, let's do this right. And so he has the priest um, go and, and cleanse themselves, and they go and get the poles they're supposed to carry it on instead of being on the cart uh, carry, that's that's being led by the oxen. And he goes and and they they get the ark and they um, they bring it um, to Jerusalem, and it says that. Um, they they picked up the ark. They took six steps, and then they just broke out in celebration, and including David, who um, danced his heart out, um, and even even continued on into the city. David was just just 
celebrating the the return of the ark the the presence this the symbol of the presence of god and 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 david was just going crazy with joy he was he was dancing he was wild he was uh doing breaking out all of the best dance moves um he 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 wasn't um what what a lot of people would expect he wasn't reserved um, as a king, because as king, I mean, you're dignified and you're, you're not going to be, um, caught up in this, this pro, this, uh, bringing the ark back because, um, you are, you're, 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 you are above that. You're, you don't show that kind of emotion. It's not, it's not dignified. It's not, it's, it's not above, it's not, uh, it's not something that is good for your station. You're, you're supposed to, other people are supposed to see you as regal and refined. And, and here, here David is out dancing in front of the ark. Um, and like a wild man, really. Um, like a fool. Um, at least that's what his, that's what Micah, his wife, says to him. He says, "How foolish you looked. You were you were showing yourself to the maidens. Uh, you were um, dancing like a fool in front of all the people." And and it kind of makes sense that uh, Micah, who is Saul's daughter, um, who Saul was very 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 concerned about how the people. Um, regarded him, that, that Micah would see David doing this and, and see the ramifications of what could happen. If the people saw David doing this and they, they no longer saw him as a king, they saw him as, um, as something less, then why would they let him stay king? Um, and this is what Saul like struggled with. He struggled with the fact that he held on to the kingship because of what because of what the people thought or at least that's what he thought that's what he struggled with and so the times that that Saul um really lets God down or when or the times that God sends against God is is that Saul sends against God is because he he is afraid of what the people are going to think and so the first time um he's waiting on Samuel to to come do a, a sacrifice so they can go fight this battle against the Philistines and and Samuel is slow in showing up, and so Saul says, "I'm just going to do the sacrifice myself," because the people are leaving and and their hearts are wavering. And and if I don't have the people to fight this battle, how could I win? Because for Saul, he he held on to the kingship with his own his own hands, basically. And and what and and if people loved and respected him and honored him and saw him as king then he got to stay king but if people didn't do that then he would lose that throne at least that's how he lived and and he desperately when when Saul was first chosen to be king he desperately didn't want to be king he hid he was afraid of being king but he was chosen and so once he became king he was desperately afraid to lose that. Um, he was desperately afraid that that if um, if people thought that he wasn't a good uh, commander of war, if he if he if he made a, a an unpopular decision. So, like the second thing that he did um, was was a God commanded him to destroy the the flocks and the people of this uh, the the army that they were going against, and um, Saul Saul didn't do that because the people he was afraid that people would rebel. 
um, because this was this was their plunder. This was what this was what was going to make them rich. And and so Saul was like, "Oh, I've we saved it." And then he kind of backdoored his way into like, "Oh, well, we saved it so we could sacrifice it to God." And God was like, "I don't. That's I don't want your sacrifices. I want your obedience. I want your trust." Um, because Saul was holding on to the, the kingship with his 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 human mind, his human abilities, his strength, his his hands. He was he was grasping it. Um, he was very susceptible to what the people thought or what he thought the people were thinking. And um, David is very different because he understands that the kingship, being king, is is simply at the pleasure of God. That God has. Um, that God has created this has this circumstances and situation, and so for as long as God wants David to be king, David will be king, and and if God says David you can't be king anymore, then he won't be king, uh, and so you'll see even later in David's life yeah, after this after this dancing episode, um, his his son rises up in rebellion and David flees because he's he says his trust is not in his own arm to um, to fight off all challengers. His, his trust is like, well, if God wants me to be king, he will, he will rectify the situation. If he doesn't, then I will, I will move on in peace. I will, I will not fight against this. And, um, and, and it's totally the opposite of what Saul was doing because Saul um, was trying to hold on to it with his human means. And David was like, yeah, I might lose this. Um, I, I might, <laughs> I, it may not be God's will for me to be king anymore. And, and that's okay. Um, if it's not God's will, I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be king. And I don't, I don't want to fight against it. Like, like David witnessed Saul fight against um, God uh, in, in this king, in this, in this, this struggle for a king to be the king. And David was like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I, that's not going to be me. Um, and so David is, is dancing, and so Micah calls him out. Micah, again, very conscious about what people think. That's what, that's what Saul taught her. That's uh, she saw in her family. Very conscious. And she's like, David, you've been a fool. You, you, you look like a fool. What will the people think? And David is like, I, I don't care. And, and I'll be even more undignified because I'm honoring God. I don't care if I look like a fool because I'm honoring God. And if God wants me to be even more undignified... I'll do that, and um, and I, it just strikes me um, as a challenge because I I look at um, like someone like this guy at this baseball team, this game baseball game, who's just yelling at the top of his lungs, just nonsense. I mean, he's he's yelling, "Come on, let's go, hit the ball, hit a home run," all great things, um, very vocal, um, but. The challenge comes to me is like, what is God calling me? And then what is God calling you to be um, undignified about? To be living in such a way uh, that we are glorifying God in such a way that people, civilized people, might find us unsettling. Um there's a there's a great story. Uh, one of the reasons that, as I mentioned in the intro, if you listen to that, I I, I love the, the book uh, "Your Church Is Too Safe" by Mark Buchanan because he he latches on to a a statement in Acts. Um, he latches on to the statement in Acts. He says that um, talking about Paul, um, that that these men, 
these men, the apostles and Paul and, and the followers of Jesus, are the ones who have turned the world upside down. They're the ones that have turned the world upside down. And here they are now. Um, Paul was seen as a disruptive force because, and he was turning the world upside down as he followed Jesus. The followers of Jesus in, in the years directly following Jesus' death and resurrection, um, they were the, they had no power. They had, they were not kings. They were not rulers. They were, they were not um, religious authorities. And yet they turned the world upside down because of the power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God's plans. And I, the challenge is for me, and hopefully for you too, is what does that look like for us? What does it look like for us? For us to be out of our minds and followers of Jesus. I was uh, I was perusing through Instagram and and um, there's uh, certain people that that pop up on my feed because I've liked stuff that they've done before and and uh, and and I've talked a little bit about this again, but I think that uh, I'm just God just keeps bringing it up, so I'm going to keep talking about it, but. Um, there was a post that said that that the all-inclusive, loving Jesus is not the type of Jesus that would get crucified. If Jesus had been all-inclusive or loving like he's portrayed today, um, he would not have been crucified. And um, I think, uh, in general, I respect the person who wrote the post um, and things that they say, but I think they're off on this one. And I think the fact is that we have to remember that the people who crucified Jesus were not that they were not crucifying him because he called out their sin, um, as in he wasn't inclusive, or he suddenly he suddenly showed up um, to call out sin. Um, that that's not why he was crucified. Um, I mean, if we go to a deeper level, well, the reason he was crucified is because God sent him to die in in a in a very sacrificial way. Um, he he was choosing to lay down his own life, but. Regardless, um, the people who, um, behind the scenes, put him in the situation where he would be crucified were not the, the lost people um, who were upset that he had told them they were sinners. Um, in fact, they had been hearing that. Uh, that was not new. Uh, that was not different. The, whole, the, the, Jewish, um, the Jewish authorities, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the uh all of the um, the the um, the experts in the law had had clearly been explaining to people and judging people and telling them you guys are sinners the things you're doing they're wrong and so Jesus was not new in that he did tell people to go and sin no more but there was something unique about what Jesus was doing um, and and the people that Jesus called out um, they were the ones that were the ones that had power. The ones that had that looked really good uh, in in their religious activities, that looked really good and 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 they were comfortable and they were and they were rich. Uh, they were making money uh, from being in their places of power. They were respected. Um, they they had the ear of Rome. They 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 were um, the people who should know God best, and yet they seemed farthest from them. It seems farthest from God. They should know him. They, 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 they memorized his word. They studied it. They debated it. And yet when the living word showed up, showed up in their midst, they didn't recognize him. 
they they didn't see him. They called him all kinds of things. They thought he was a blasphemer. They thought he was the son of a demon. They thought he was he was the son of the devil. They thought he was um, they they thought he was possessed. Um, they they disliked um, the fact that he uh, caused the the status quo to change. Um, that he would dare to attack their power structures and their uh, monetary um, ways that they gained uh, through the temple and through um, through, through they they were um, and and above all that it says that the people had begun to flock to him and they saw that as a direct threat that that Jesus had followers. And, and that those followers were the same type of sinners that for years they had been saying, you guys are sinners, you, you're living the wrong way, um, calling them out. Um, so, so I think it's important to remember that, that Jesus turned the world upside down when he showed up um, in, in a couple of ways. But one of the ways is that he talked to the most religious people the, the harshest. Uh, he talked to the most religious people the harshest. Um, when he when he dealt with people who were were caught in sin, he would say, "Your sins have been forgiven. Go and sin no more." Jesus was not saying. He, Jesus was able to say that that twofold statement that I think is hard for us to say because we don't we don't know how to 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 really say that. And I think that um, we've got to learn how to lean on the Holy Spirit to say that to people. But but we have that same kind of idea where we want to say. Um, your sins have been forgiven. Go and sin no more. So you, um, that it, that's a both end. And so Jesus would say that to the lost people. He wouldn't just, just he wouldn't just accept people um, necessarily in their sin. Um, but there was something about the way that Jesus lived and taught and and who he was that people who who didn't know God wanted to know God. And, and when, when Jesus says, you've, you've been released, you've been forgiven, they wanted to go and sin no more. And so it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't people who were angry about Jesus saying, calling out sin, um, who, who were outside of the church. It was the church. It was the believers, those who followed God and, and, God, and Jesus had just so many harsh words for them. Um, he called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you, 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 prefer, you perfect the outside, but you're dead on the inside. And so I think we should be careful, um, assuming that if Jesus were to return today, um, and in, in a similar way, uh, as not as the all-conquering king that he will return one day as, but as a messiah, as if, if, as if his messiahship had happened today, that he would side with a certain conservative-leaning type of church. Um, I mean, it's hard to say what all that Jesus would be a part of and what he would do. But I think he would call all of us, all of us, to repentance. To say, hey, you've got to get it right on the inside. Um, and you, you, we make it easy. We try to focus on what's going on, on the outside. But you've got to get it right on the inside. And so I think we have to remember that. Um, that when we are 
trying to interface with the world, when we are trying to share the love of God, trying to share Jesus with the world, um, we, we have to remember that we are talking to people who are lost and in, in need of direction. And we're talking to people who have been hurt, that have hard hearts, that, that have been drugged through the mud, um, sometimes by the people who should have shown them love. And, and so when we get into this argument about whether Jesus would be accepting or not, or whether Jesus would be loving or not, I think we're just, we're just totally missing the point. Because Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, would call us to being, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, but also to call them to righteousness. And figuring that out, that balance, now that's the hard work, and that's where we should, what we should do. But, but most of the time we get stuck up on the fact that we can't decide if, if loving them means that we can even invite them over to our house or uh, have a meal with them or be their friends without saying, hey, I can be your friend, but I do need to let you know that I don't believe in your lifestyle. I don't believe in the choices that you're making. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to acknowledge them in any way or make it feel like I am. And I. And I think I don't. I don't think that, in my opinion, is what what Jesus. How Jesus would have started that or even continued that. Um, I. I think that there is this sense of, we, are called to be, the undignified fools who who proclaim God's goodness is good news with everything that we have that we have hope that in, in this dark world and in, in that that we would that we would proclaim his light in this world that feels so dark and hurt and all amidst all the hurting and and all of the the deeply difficult things that are going on that we would pre- we would be able to say we have good news and that's good news of Jesus Christ, that that's the gospel, that the gospel is that, that God is, is at work and he is moving in and he is, he's going to do more than we could ever imagine. And he wants us to be a part of that. And he wants us to invite people and, and, and being part of that means that we live in such a way that we too would turn the world upside down, that we would be out of our minds or at least that would look that way to the world, that we would be so fanatical about Jesus that, that we wouldn't mind that the world would go, oh, they're a, little, they're a little off in a good way, yeah? You know, they're a little off, though. They make me uncomfortable because they are so close to Jesus. They're so, they're so focused on knowing and making him known that they're different. They turn the world upside down. And I think that's the challenge is to figure out what that means for my life. I'm, I'm walking through that myself, but also for you, as you listen, as you think, what is it that, that God's calling you to do? What is it that God's asking from you what is it that 
you can be undignified in, that you can be out of your mind, that you can turn the world upside down because of the way that you live, the way that you love, the way that you treat people, the way that you think, the way that you spend your money and make your money and and how you align your time and how you react to to what the world has for us, what God has for us, the way that you, you, uh, with such passion, chase after God. Like, what is it that God's calling you to do? Let us be like David. That we would dance freely, unashamed, in front of his presence. In front of the presence of God. The very, the very understanding that God is moving and, and at work and we would dance because, because we are celebrated. And, and then if somebody were to ask, may we say that we would be even more undignified because it's for Jesus, it's for God. That we would be, that we would, we would, with all of our hearts, all of our energy, proclaim with our life the truth of who Jesus is and his love and his calling and his, and the Holy Spirit's call to repentance that, that, that goes out when when the Holy Spirit uh, is, is, is works and that, that God wants us to be a part of that, that we would be the type of people that turn the world upside down, that we would be the type of people that would turn our churches upside down because God's calling us for such a time as this. What is it that God's calling you to do? Make that your prayer this week. I'll make it mine. And then um, hopefully next week we'll come back and be able to share a little bit more. Maybe you'll have something. You'll see God move in a way that um, you can't be silent about. And you got to scream from the rooftop. you got to dance. You've got to uh, look a little weird. Um, and may God find be glorified in that. But there's your challenge. Your prayer. My prayer. God, what is it that you're calling us to do? that will turn the world upside down, that's undignified in the eyes of the watchers, but, but, but is glorifying to you in every sense. Reveal that to us as we pray and as we live this week.